Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, episode number 12. Um, here, as ever, with Mark. Greetings, everybody. <laughs> That's become your like uh, tagline, isn't it? Greetings, my friends. <laughs> I'd Gre- like, greetings, I'd, I'd, venturists. <laughs> or ven- venturers. Venturers, sorry. You got it wrong. Oh, no. You're speaking to the rival gang. The rival gang, yeah. I'll re- re- retract that. <laughs> Greeting to the venturists. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is a weird start already. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. No, straight in. Um, uh, greetings, everybody. It's great to be with you all. Yeah, Venture 12, uh, episode 12. Uh, and it's our last one, isn't it, of season one? Yeah, it is. Been going for just over a year, so uh, straight away we can say that after this one, we'll be having a little bit of an extended break. You might maybe won't notice too much because it's usually about a month in between and this time it's between six and eight weeks probably until the next one. Yeah. Um, That's right. But it's been it's been a good year. It's been a great year. It's a lot of learning. Mm. Our confidence has been growing <laughs> month by month. You, uh, us. Yeah. 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 We started real really sheepish, didn't we? <laughs> we did. Nervous. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, no, in all seriousness, it's been a good journey, hasn't it? We've we've enjoyed it. We've learned lots. We've been able to have great conversations with yeah. people with each other yeah. that we think are yeah. important to be reflecting on. Yeah, and I, I'll say that's one thing. I mean, we've had some really good guests on here, um, and uh, I've had a few people ask me like, "So, how do you go about it? How do you like book in the times and?" Is there big fees and all this kind of stuff? I've had people asking me, and and I mean, we were surprised as well. We just sent off some emails, didn't we? And just said we'd love to book you in for May, and I think everybody has said yes so far. Yeah. So we're just really grateful to everyone who's been a guest, sharing their wisdom and knowledge and experiences with us. Yeah. Yeah, it's been touching. <laughs> yes. Um, what's going on? Well, we're in the middle of the European Championships. Well, towards the end, at time of recording, aren't we? Yeah, so uh, England are still in semi-finals. That's exciting. Yeah. Unusual. Unusual. Or becoming more usual, I should say. Yeah. Uh, uh, at time of recording, it's tomorrow, isn't it? England, Denmark um, in the semi-final. So uh, hopefully by the time you listen listening to this, England will either be finalists or European champions. Yeah. Uh, we live in the south of Sweden in a city called Helsingborg and across the water on a 20 minute boat journey is Denmark mm. and a town called Helsingør which is where the Denmark football team are based yeah. uh, but there's loads of Danish people here so we're going to hide tomorrow yeah. night yeah, we are. Uh, we're going to your gonna cave going to hide in my renovated shed uh, yeah. and, and put it on a big screen because if Denmark win basically this town will be awash with yeah. Danish flags, yeah. people yeah. driving around. And... We won't be able to show our face for a month. No. Uh, speaking of spaces that are a bit renovated or creative, uh, do you want to tell people where we're sitting? Yeah, we're, well, it's hard to describe, but 
it's like a cupboard <laughs> in church. Uh, we've not got a podcast room, and uh, I mean, we keep saying we need to sort something out. But yeah. uh, but I mean, we generally record uh, at your place, right, in the spare room. But obviously, with yeah. Swedish summer holidays starting early, your kids are home. Yeah, so it just won't work. So we're in a craft cupboard at church, um, which has got an opening where a door should be, but there is no door. So we put one of, I mean, everyone can picture this, but the really old church tables yeah. uh, with the fold-out legs and stuff. We've got one of them blocking the A entrance. Yeah, it actually says Frelsings, I mean, Helsing, Hesleholm, which is a town about an hour away. Yeah. Uh, Frelsings so means it's the Salvation Army, so it's a yeah. table from that church. Did we so steal that, it? I don't know. I think that church closed down oh, right. a long time ago, so I guess... Helsingborg inherited Hester yeah. Holmes. Well, it's being put to tables. good use, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's it's there to stop any sound kind yeah. of coming in because when you do what we're learning, I mean, we're rubbish at sound, aren't we? We don't know what <laughs> yeah, we're doing. We're terrible. To be yeah. uh, we've learned that a, a table over an opening <laughs> is quite helpful just to to keep so the stick uh, around for more sound technician tips. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Actually, what I can do, I'll take a picture and I'll put a picture on Facebook as well when we uh, release this podcast yeah. to show people uh, where we hide ourselves away to record. Yeah, but it's also really hot. Yeah, so you're sweating. I'm sweating. <laughs> you are, yeah, visibly. Visibly sweaty, yeah. yeah so, and I'm yeah. warm because I got my first vaccination jab today. So I'm, All right. I'm, detail. I'm, I'm maybe just a bit warm or it might just be in my head, yeah. but I feel warm. Yeah, or so, it could just be to do with being locked in a cupboard. Yeah, so truth be told, this is a rather unpleasant experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, no. Yeah. So we, we hopefully we'll find a better place uh, as the as the months roll on. But yeah. uh, if you do know anything about sound, yeah. and uh, you can obviously hear that this is very unprofessional, and you kind of it's painful for you to listen to. Do get in touch? Yeah, help! Help! <laughs> Please. Help, please. Um, should we get into uh, the introduction of the interview? Because, I mean, we're yeah. it's quite a long one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's about a 50-minute interview, a uh, bit longer than usual, but it's just fantastic. Uh, Mark, you did the interview, so can you uh, just uh, frame it a little bit before for us before we get into it? Yeah, well, it's uh, we've got two guests, um, Rob Wegner and Lance Ford. Uh, Rob Wegner is, um, I think he's, uh, well, he's been a church leader for 25 years and is uh, part of the Kansas City Underground, um, author of several books, but particularly around like multiplication and equipping leaders. Lance Ford, I think, is um, uh, someone who uh, runs a lot of um, leadership training and is a coach. So both of them cross paths there. They both live in a similar area, I think, from what I understood. Yeah. But the book is called The Starfish and the Spirit. They're co-authors on a book, right? Yeah, think, Together with Alan Hirsch. Yeah. So, yeah, co-authors on a book. And it's um, I think it's, as I said in the podcast, it's a book in season, um, particularly because it touches on some of the tensions that all of us are experiencing around our expressions of church and our expressions of leadership and the change that's going on in our world from kind of at the end of the story of hardcore hierarchical Mm. industrial revolution models of ministry leadership should say leadership uh, and ministry is often kind of imitated some of that cultural story 
uh, and just the moment that we're in, which has been vastly uh, one of flattening out those stories that people are connecting in networks. The world is flattened in many ways. So uh, change can happen from a photo taken in one part of the world. It can go viral within seconds. Mm. And uh, that kind of has changed our story very vastly over the last year. So what does that look like in terms of our models, expressions of leadership and mm. church? And this book really speaks into that. So a lot of practical stuff for us to dig into. Um, but this, I would say, it's very much the big picture today. Yeah. Um, so uh, you might be left with lots of questions, but that'll just be a provocation to go and get the book. Yeah. And dig Fantastic. deep into it. Great. Good introduction. Uh, should we get into it? Let's do it. Stick around afterwards. Um, we'll have a chat, pick out some of the key things uh, that we reflected on. Um, so uh, enjoy the interview and we'll speak to you soon. Welcome everybody to the Venture 12 podcast episode 11 and uh, on the show today we've got Rob Wegner and uh, Lance Ford. Uh, who have written a book which uh, I was recommended by a friend of mine from Belgium, actually. Uh, and I finally managed to get hold of it. And uh, mm-hmm. I have to say, after about four or five pages, I was thinking we need to do a podcast on this book. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, that was quick. <laughs> we should have just written a shorter book. Saved a lot of time. <laughs> oh, those first five pages. Wow, they're amazing. Uh, but the rest of the book I can highly recommend as well. Um but anyway, yeah, it was all, I hope it wasn't all downhill after page five. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely wasn't. Uh, and actually, I, I've just finished the book and um, I'm so grateful that I did ask you because I think in the pages of this book, uh, mm. there's stuff that I believe is really, really important um, for leaders and for, for what's going on in this cultural missional moment. So uh, really excited that we've got you on the show. Um, mm. But before Great we to be here, brother. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Yes, it is. Before we like jump into it, uh, maybe you can uh, just introduce yourselves uh, a bit about your background and you know what you're doing. Tell us who you are. Yeah, well, uh, this Lance speaking here. Um, I was a church planter, pastored, planted for about twenty years, and. Um, I mean, straight out of, not long out of high school. When I was 19, I'd, I'd become a, a youth pastor. And then a few years, I became a pastor and then a church planter. And um, But for about the last 16, 17 years, really most of my time has really been spent with coaching and consulting and you know, working with different groups, sometimes denominations, sometimes individuals, sometimes individual churches, but most in the circles of church planting or church trans, you know, transitioning the church. Uh, I was in Kansas City for about seven years. Um, my wife and I were there uh, really while we were empty nesters and uh, when we first had become empty nesters. And um, that was a time when Rob uh, and his wife, Michelle, ended up moving to Kansas City. And that's when Rob and I really got to to know each other, um, wanting to say, I don't know, Rob. 2014, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we'd known each other before then, but that's when we really got to spend time and really get to know each other. And then just uh, there's there's been a, a, a kind of a circle 
of of buddies and um, guys and gals that have you know are thinking the same ideas and working on the same um, practices and and in their own little missional laboratories all over the country. But we've frequented a lot of the same conferences or the same groups and been together and gotten to be you know pretty good pals. Uh, you guys might say mates. So I know all the Australians and the and and the and the UKans say mates. So I need to say that. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, you know, a lot of the ideas and everything around the book had just been stuff that we've been living and then chewing on for a while. But uh, yeah, I live in Panama City, Florida, right now, which is up in what they call the Panhandle, Florida, and um, um, where it's very hot and very humid most of the time. So that's, that's where we're at right now, but I pretty much, I can do what I do from just about anywhere. I'm Rob and, uh, grew up in Chicago. The uh, white Sox right now are number one. I'm pretty excited about that. Thinking Mark about doesn't it. even know what baseball is. Rob, oh, save man. your breath. Chicago white Sox. That's all you need to know right now. <laughs> that's not true. I do know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cricket, man. So. I was thinking a lot about it. Yesterday was Father's Day, and my dad went on to meet Jesus uh, years ago and used to take me to see the Sox regular. And uh, then uh, my wife and I, we'd, um, I'd had a crush on her when, she, when we were in high school. And uh, prior, she had a boyfriend, a guy I like to call the jerk, you know, but eventually he got out of the way. And uh, she went to Moody Bible Institute. I went to Taylor. <laughs> Uh, after that, we went and helped plant a church in northern Indiana, about an hour and a half east of Chicago. And I uh, tell people affectionately that was a Willowback church because Willow Creek and Saddleback were our primary influences. And uh, and we we really saw a miracle happen there. Um, many, many people who were far from God and disinterested in the church uh, had amazing spiritual awakenings. And it was changing a lot of families and lives. And uh, about 10 years into that, we'd become a, um, a church with a national reputation uh, just because we had grown so quickly and we were doing some pretty creative things. Um, and my role changed. I was um, basically, my job was to take our church to the city, take our church to the world. I fell real deeply into the um, world of disciple making movements in India and then in Africa and then in some other parts of South Asia. And it actually reminded me a lot of my early days of my faith. Um, when I met Jesus in this, uh, youth group, they had the vibe of a movement to it, except this was like the seven course feast. And it started this sort of obsession of why not here? Why not us? You know, what is it that's keeping us from this really beautiful primal expression of what it means to be the church. So kept doing a lot of experiments. Like Lance said, uh, we ended up connecting with a lot of the same friends and mentors and, uh, and Lance Lance's work really spoke to me too, as well. Um, and ended up moving to Kansas city um, and was hired by a large church here pretty much to help them get into church planning movements internationally. And then also I was like, I just want to train ordinary folks to do the exact same things that we're teaching people in, you know, Thailand and Myanmar and Laos and South Africa and parts of India. That's where we were working internationally. And they're like, all right. 
And eventually that became what's now called the Kansas City Underground. And we're a decentralized network of what we call missionaries and microchurches in our city. Uh, we exist to fill Kansas City with the beauty, justice, and good news of Jesus. And we want to join Jesus in filling everything every way with all that he is in our city. And we think if we had a missionary in every street and a microchurch in every network of relationships, then we would, that's an expression of the church that's relational enough, adaptable enough, proximate enough to love everybody in the city and give them an experience of what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus and, and be discipled. And so that's what we're working on. We know it's like a ridiculous dream, <laughs> but we know it's what Jesus desires for our city. That's cool. I'd love to come back to some of that actually. And we will, we will. Um, but <clears throat> let's introduce this book. So you guys teamed up um, to write this book, the starfish and the spirit. I have to say, I've learned a lot about marine biology reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we learned a lot about marine biology. Yeah, writing the book. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be too unfair. I've learned so much more than just marine biology. Uh, but I never knew that about starfish. Can you just tell us, like, yeah, what's the, yeah, why have you called a book the starfish and the spirit? <laughs> well. Um, What's interesting is Lance and I both, uh, there was um, a book that came out in 2006 that was called uh, The Spider or the Starfish and the Spider by Ori Brofman. And it was a New York Times bestseller, very influential in the marketplace, but also very influential in the church because it was about a, a form of leadership that you could call decentralized. Um, so centralized leadership is about sort of collecting power at the center it typically creates some kind of hierarchy. So there's a few uh, that are making decisions for the vision, the direction, the agenda, the structure, and the rest are more in a support role. And or use this analogy, if you look at a spider and a starfish from a distance, they actually have a similar body structure, uh, but underneath the surface, they're radically different. If you cut off the head of a spider, you're going to kill the entire organism. If you cut off what looks like the head of the starfish, you're going to actually end up with two starfish because the spider has a central brain that's regulating all the actions in a very centralized, direct fashion. But the starfish doesn't have that problem. It basically operates as a decentralized neural network. The whole starfish does. And if you chop off what was the head of the starfish, it actually has everything it needs to reproduce the whole. When we when I read the book, and I know Lance felt the same way, we're like, this is such a compelling picture of what it means to be a disciple, what, what the church is. Um, but unfortunately, most expressions of the church in our landscape are spider. Uh, they're usually led by a lead pastor or a head pastor or two or three pastors or a board. And it's very hierarchical, kind of looks like a pyramid. You've got that pastor defining, here's our vision and here are the programs. And and we'd love for you to come and join as a member and as a volunteer. And that's so normative. No one even really questions the structure. Uh, and then we have church planning organizations that basically exist to help people start a weekend service to draw people so that they can become new members and new volunteers. And what you see in the New Testament is so clearly something categorically different. It's a starfish movement. And it's about um, every disciple realizing it's their birthright 
to actually make disciples and reproduce and multiply. And as you do that, simple expressions of the church begin to emerge and those are easy to reproduce and can be led by ordinary people. And then you start to see those forming networks and then filling cities and regions. That's really the story of the New Testament. And that's the heart behind this book is how do we return to the original design for the church? How do we help recapture our birthright? And the book, our, this is what the book is about. You know, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, we feel like the book of Ephesians is really probably the clearest and most concise answer to that question. And building off of the work of Alan Hirsch and the Forgotten Ways. Yeah, and then the work of he's up a lot, doesn't he? he he's like, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to actually make it very operational, though. You know, Alan's book is an amazing philosophical and theological foundation. Uh, our book is for those who it's like, hey, man, if you got bruised knuckles and you got uh, some blood on you and some scrapes and you're down on, in the streets trying to get this done, uh, so are we. And here's what we've learned so far and how to actually operationalize, you know, what we've learned. That's cool. I've got some I've got some questions. So you've already like said like um, like a journey towards a more decentralized form of church. And it's almost like the book is an invitation to reimagine the church mm-hmm. in, in that in that way. One hundred percent. Yeah. Which is, I mean, there's a lot of talk about becoming more decentralized uh, in general in the in the missional kind of space at the moment. So it'd be great if we can like deep dive a bit around that. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, Lance, you should tell him about the timeline for the book and <laughs> our timeline versus the spirit's timeline. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. Because it does have so much to do with this message of decentralization. Yeah, we ought to write a book about the book. So, uh, <laughs> so. The crazy thing about it is that, I don't know, you know, I mean, Rob's written several books. I've written several books before you. So you kind of have an idea what the timeline is going to be like. And and so you have a, a period of, of research and then you have a period of actual writing and you have these deadlines and then, you know, the book finally comes out. But, you know, sometimes it's like a couple of years type of a process. And so I started thinking about this book in 2015 I um, in fact I remember the place I was standing in my office in my office library um, in Kansas City and just called Ori and and said hey you know I've been having this thought about writing a book on the starfish in the church and just the amalgamation of the ideas because I think I'd been in so many pastors libraries that had Ori's book, The Starfish and the Spider. I mean, and just thousands and thousands of pastors bought that book and read it. Um, like Rob said, it was a New York Times bestselling book because there was something that resonated, but we did not know what to do with it. We did mm-hmm. not know what it could really look like. And um, even though in our hearts, in our guts, we were like, he's on to something. So anyway, I'd, I'd gotten to be friends with Ori several years before that. And um, so I called him and said, hey, I'm thinking about this. Uh, would you be interested in, in writing it together? And Ori said yes. And um, so that's how the book really started, was Ori and I started outlining it. We started working on it. We actually ended up 
um, getting a contract with Zondervan. And um, at some point, uh, as we started working on the manuscript, I felt like something was missing. And the Lord really spoke to me that Rob was supposed to be a part of this project. Now, writing with co-authors is difficult. It's a lot easier to write a book by yourself. But if you try to write a book with three people, <laughs> now you really got something going. I mean, it's really exponentially complicated now. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know what the factors are there, but it's exponential. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, but, but actually it, it went pretty, it was, it was going pretty smooth. Um, but uh, at some point, uh, or he just felt, and we started missing some deadlines for different reasons. I had a hurricane, or y'all might call that a cyclone, had the third worst hurricane in the history of the U.S. hit me directly, and um, uh, so it just, it just, uh, everything but COVID happened. <laughs> okay, <laughs> when COVID did, did actually happen, but it, but our book was already in production by that time. But um, uh, uh, at some point I felt like, or like, like Rob was supposed to be a part of it. And so I, I, or he said, yeah, I told him about Rob, gave him Rob's background. And, and, uh, so we invited Rob into the project. Rob came in on it enthusiastically. And then actually the book changed. I knew it would. So it went through a little, another little iteration, couple of iterations. We were missing deadlines. And, um, at some point, or he just felt like he was not supposed to be an author in it. But he continued on. Really, it's just a, a wonderful mentor, coach. Said you can use all the branding, the starfish stuff. I'm behind you. I'll write the foreword. He actually ended up naming the book for us. Uh, suggested that we name it the Starfish in the Spirit rather than the Starfish in the Church, because with the Starfish in the Spirit, it really um, opens it up to more faith-based organizations, faith-based businesses or whatever it might be. And so we just like the, that, that title. Now we do have a podcast called the starfish in the church. So we still utilize that. But, uh, and then lo and behold, uh, after Rob had come on, Rob's little mother called him up one night and she, or one morning and she's not a charismatic Pentecostal or anything, but she called up and said, uh, um, Hey, Rob, I had a dream, and Alan Hirsch is supposed to be part of this book project, which is just are you, are like, you, what? Is this, is, this, are you, is this true? Is this true, right? 100%. She called me. She's like, the voice kept saying, Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch. <laughs> That's my mom's voice. Right That's his mom's voice, by the way. I was like, what? She's like, Robert, you're supposed to call Alan Hirsch. And, and Ori had just stepped aside. And I was yes. like, yes. What, mom? <laughs> no. so I call Alan. It's crazy. And he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't even ask for any time. He just says, yep, I'm in. It's perfect timing. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, shout out to your mom. Wow. Shout know, out to man. mom. Exactly. Shout out to mom. <laughs> so but that's it. That's I mean, how it came about. That's amazing. Yeah, but the, the thing that's crazy is, the book should have been out well before COVID. Mm -hmm. But with all these delays and rewrites and iterations, the book dropped a year into COVID when more than any time in the history of the church in America, I think, was this sense of, well, the decentralized form of the church 
has had a huge pause button put on it. It's had its legs cut out from underneath it. And every church leader in America was forced to reimagine the church as a decentralized network. And it just seemed like such a Kairos moment in the leadership of the spirit in terms of what we thought were delays that were increasingly frustrating were actually mm. his provision that this book would drop mm -hmm. at just the right moment. Yeah, completely. I mean, just reading it, it's just such a, a book in season, you know. I wouldn't just say for you guys in the US, but for, even for us here. Uh, well, that, that's what we hope. I mean, it, it just seems like um, by his goodness that this book, um, I, our prayer, you know, is that it would just be wind in the sails of every church leader who's trying to break out of the Christendom centralized, highly kind of structured form of the church into uh, a starfish form. And so what we're trying to do with the book is first of all, paint a picture of, okay, what does it look like to be the decentralized church? And then what is the form of leadership Yeah, um, that will actually release that form of church? Yeah. I've got some questions around that. So, so one of the starfish used the model of the starfish you talk about movement starfish um, and when we're thinking about reimagining the church as a decentralized network, um, you talk about five points of multiplication, uh, disciples, leaders, houses, hubs, uh, and networks. Um, I think we kind of say discipleship, of course, is like just so, so central foundational, but um, could you just say something about some of the terms that perhaps people might be a little bit unfamiliar with in, the church conversation or the roles, uh, particularly around um, hubs. Uh, yeah. Because you, you draw the idea of hubs up. Uh, and I think for some people that might be a really interesting piece just to see where that fits in. And what, what do we mean by that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We really tried to do a double click on that one because we felt like out of all the five points of multiplication, that would be the one where people might um, just take what they're currently doing and relabel it as a hub. So again, the, the, what we're trying to get at here is everybody's using the word movement. Um, and I've heard the word movement used to describe so many different things. And if everything's a movement, then nothing's a movement because it's like, well, what is even a movement? Is anything that moves a movement? And we'll just call it a movement. Like we had a great Sunday morning service. It was a movement, you know? <laughs> so we're trying to basically build off the work of Alan Hirsch and then people like David Watson and David Garrison and give a specific enough definition that it has teeth, but not so uh, heavy and burdensome that it becomes legalistic. And we're saying you need five points of multiplication and you want to be four generations deep on multiple strands at all five points. If that was genuinely happening, you'd have a movement. And the whole idea of multiplication is so central, um, both in the creation narrative and in the new creation narrative. So disciples, number one, is anyone who hears the voice of Jesus and follows and obeys. If they do that, they'll become a disciple that makes disciples. And then you're becoming a leader. And a leader is a disciple maker. And if you have disciples and disciple makers, what you end up with simple forms of the church. And then we get into the picture in the New Testament. where in Acts chapter two, for example. It says they're meeting in the temple courts and house to house. And house to house was that simple expression of the church where the oikos, which was kind of the primary social structure of the Roman Empire, 
typically groups of 20 to 50 people built around work, bloodlines, friends. Uh, the gospel would hit it and it would get flipped and become a microchurch. It became a new extended spiritual family built around the person of Jesus and his mission. Is that what you and, would define as a, a microchurch, an extended spiritual family or household? Yeah. Yep. And we had a, a couple of definers led by ordinary people. So it doesn't have to be paid staff. The goal is to live in everyday gospel community. So microchurch isn't a Bible study. Microchurch isn't a meeting in somebody's living room with a guitar and a sermon. It's a new extended spiritual family led by ordinary people who are seeking to live in everyday gospel community, owning the mission of Jesus in their network of relationships. And as those begin to multiply, you get networks of disciples, leaders, microchurches, and then what we call the hub. And this is what we think was happening in Solomon's colonnade in the temple. And the hub is not a church plant. The hub is an apostolic equipping team. It was that in Ephesus. Was that, there's that- also one in Ephesus. I think you could say Antioch too. Yeah, Antioch. You know, we're like in Ephesus, Paul's renting a hall and he's got the eight, his eight leaders, you know, his disciple makers. And some of them are microchurch leaders, but not all of them. At least we can't, it doesn't seem like they all were yet, but at the hall, he's training them. And then the new microchurch leaders and disciples in Ephesus. And because of the work he did there, Eventually, they say all of Asia Minor was filled with the gospel. And then there's churches in the book of Revelation that came out of that training hub. So fundamentally, what it is, is there's an apostolic equipping team that's training, equipping, energizing, supporting the movement of missionaries and microchurches in a city or a region. And we also say they do have a shared space. It's not about a building, but they, in both cases, there was a building. You know, they were using the temple structure in Jerusalem. So we think a hub can emerge inside of a previous church or religious structure. Or, you know, in Ephesus, it was basically like a third space. They were renting a public hall. That's what we're doing in the Kansas City Underground. We've got a, you know, a spot in a strip mall in in one of the biggest retail corridors, you know. Um, And so hub, hub basically is an apostolic equipping team. And uh, Lance, you want to layer on anything else onto that, man? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think that um, looking at the hubs, uh, the the beauty of the hubs is is in, and we go deep into this in the book, and we may go into it in some of this conversation here. But the the, the beauty of the hubs is 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 that it it really is is the next level of a macro of the micro of the house church itself of, of, of the, which is even in the house is a macro of the micro of a triad of three disciples, you know, together. But the beauty about the hub is then once again, you get even more voices and you get more diversity of voices and more diversity of talent and resource, which is really gets down to this Ephesians four thing that, that, that Rob spoke of earlier is where we are there. Our jobs are there as leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it brings so much more talent and resource and provision and the agency of God to bear upon the job that we have of equipping the saints. In most churches today, the majority, I would say 99% of their resources are given to everything except for equipping the saints. Mm. It's given 
to creating a great church service for the saints. And so we don't end up with disciples. We, even the people that want to be equipped, the people that want to learn and want to grow, uh, don't get developed because we're not doing our jobs as equippers. We're thinking we're there to be presenters. And so I think the hubs are one of the greatest places where you really see the Ephesians 4 task of Ephesians 4 and 11 and 12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I think you really see that sweet spot in the hubs. Mm, that's really cool. Can I ask then, um, so these hubs, um, they're, they, they're an apostolic environment or a gathering of apostolic um, people uh, with an equipping catalytic posture is it, uh, and, and is that to serve the microchurches or how, how was that relationship like the hub and the microchurch? Yeah, 100%. So to make it practical, you know, right now in Kansas City, we're up to three hubs, which means we have equipping teams in three different parts of our city. We have 2.2 million people. We think we're going to need at least 30 hubs in our city. So what we're talking about is 30 equipping teams that are there to train, support, refresh and help multiply the missionaries and microchurches in that part of the city. So our hub here in West Shawnee, we have eight equipping teams that make up the hub. One of them is called personal discovery. That one helps you get clarity on your Ephesians 2.10 masterpiece mission, helps you realize kind of your Ephesians 4 profile, your gifts, your passion, your story, Helps you realize who else you're going to need on your team. Because when you go on mission, you never go alone. Um, and then that team also helps you get a sense of how you're doing spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, and puts together like a spiritual formation plan to help you do mission out of the overflow of communion and abiding with Jesus. And then there's a startup coaching team, which helps new missionaries. We train them through a seven-week equipping huddle through what we call the missionary pathway. And that's kind of five phases of training any missionary needs to go through. And then we have ongoing coaching. So like once you're out there and you're starting to make disciples and a microchurch is emerging, you get in a coaching circle and you have a couple people that are a little farther ahead of you and some peers that are beside you and some newbies that are behind you. And, uh, and then we have a financial services team. More than half of our budget is basically venture capital for missionaries and microchurches. You know, We have a media services team which is there not to make videos of me per se. It's, it's there for if a microchurch needs a website or they need branding or they need a video. So it's like we flip the typical structures where uh, typically any, those are the kind of things that support the quote unquote staff of a church. So the staff can lead the ministry and define the ministry. Basically the way we conceptualize it is all of God's people are the paid staff. Like they're getting their, salary from being a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, but they're fully called to be on mission and make disciples and plant the gospel and see a church emerge where they live, work, learn, and play. And our job is to equip them, support them, network them. And, and we're trying to do that in a way that is, um, you know, simple, scalable, and hopefully almost completely bivocational or co-vocational like the early church. There's a, there's a few of us that, you know, raise some support and uh, cause we're trying to give more of our time to the equipping 
of the saints in our city. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, I've got a question about leadership. Um, so like, you know, the inherited kind of models of church that many of us have grown up in have been quite, they've been centralized, hierarchical. Um, yeah, and they heavily kind of lean towards like a, a structure where you have a group of experts and then the rest or the power is in the hands of, of a few. Um, uh, we many of us kind of feel there's got to be more to this. There's got to be some kind of change. Um, what would starfish leadership look like? What what what, what are we talking about? What kind of characteristics, behaviours are we are we needing to see, and what we need to leave, leave behind? Yeah, you know the th- the thing is is that um, a a a decentralised leadership does not just happen. It does not just happen in the vacuum of saying, okay, hierarchy is bad. Hierarchy is wrong. So let's knock it down. Um, It's just like in, in your home, if you were to go and you were to start to knock out uh, the studs in your home, you're going to have the second floor of your home laying on the first floor of your home. It's just going to fall apart. So there has to be some other types of structures and some systems that are in place that create a decentralized leadership. And so um, we really start with a starfish that we call the light load leader that, you know, Jesus said, come to me, you that, that are, that are heavy laden, that are burdened and I will give you rest. And, you know, he goes on, this is where he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And um, very rarely do we ever look at that as a leadership text. And I'm not saying it's solely a leadership text. Obviously it's not, it's, it's, it's for any issue. Um, but it can be applied to leadership because most leaders in the church are very burdened because they're carrying the weight of the world and they're trying to be the expert, this and the expert that, and, and, and be the end all for the, for the whole church. And, and Jesus never intended for that. He, he wanted it leadership to be distributed. So we come in with the light load leader starfish. And we say the first issue is that we think we have to deal with is we have to deal with this issue of management because management has come out of the industrial revolution. And we've come to a point where we, in our psyche, we believe that people have to be managed as if people don't have the acumen or um, the maturity to be able to manage themselves. So the, the management industry is huge. And so if you were to go right now to Amazon and look at the books on management, I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of books on how to manage people. And so we say that's not necessary. In fact, that's the, that's the most inefficient way of, of progressing in leadership. And so we talk in terms of macro management over micro management. And a lot of people would hear that and say, you mean more management? And we say, yes, more management, but not like you've known it. So this really delves into, and then we actually go into it later in the book, into the real deep systems and ways of self-managing. So the reason we're saying there's actually more management, because we're teaching people how to self-manage themselves. We're teaching teams how to... uh, have mutual accountability and mutual management of one another. And it actually brings up, brings a lot more uh, brain power to the table, but it's not hierarchical in nature. Um, The next thing is we talk about equipping over directing. And so uh, typically most bosses, and we'll get to that here in a second, but most people think that their job is to direct 
every little issue and to direct people how to do their jobs. And we do that even in the church. We do that as pastors and leaders typically. And this is hierarchical leadership at its worst. And we're saying, no, your job description must change as a leader to say, I'm not here to direct people. I'm here to equip people with what they need to do the job that God's called them to and God's anointed them. And you know what? They may be a, a level two leader on a scale of one to five and their ceiling may be level four. Well, my job is to get them to level four and to make sure to find out what they need, uh, what they need to learn, what they need resourced, what they would need to experience to help them be the best that they can be. So uh, that's equipping over directing. And then we talk about partnering over paternalism. There's a very paternalistic ideology that pervade, pervades the hierarchical leadership forms that we've known. Uh, in other words, um, we treat people as if they are not adults as soon as they get to the job site. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's ironic. And I always say this, it's ironic that you can have a woman that um, can help pay a mortgage in her household. She can raise her children. She can cook dinner without burning the house down. She can shave her legs without bleeding out. But as soon as she gets to the office, we treat her as if she is a child and she has to be told when to be there, when to leave. You can do this. You can't do that. You have to seek my approval on everything. But that's just a hierarchy is the way hierarchy works. And so what we say is, no, if 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 people are hired on, if they're part of the team, they're they are adults don't treat them like you're their parents, treat them like they are your partners. And so, and this even goes, this is biblical language, because if you look at the word fellowship, co-labor, through a co-worker, these are words that Paul used throughout the New Testament in, in dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It's the same word. And so Paul, the word partner, and these are the words that Paul used in his terminology of the people that worked with him. He did not call them employees. In fact, the word employee, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, the word employee and hireling are the exact same definition, mm. you know, so there which should alarm us a lot. We should never in our churches be calling staffs uh, our employees. And so, no, they're not there to be under us. They're to be side by side to us. They're to be with us. And so we, we walk together. Uh, there is no outranking one another. Uh, there's different roles. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, too. But then we talk about a lot of this has come over, uh, come all out of the industrial revolution. So we say we have to be we have to operate from spiritual over industrial. In other words, be spirit led, be spirit guided and um, not treat people as if they are cogs, not treat people as if they're mechanical parts because they're not the body of christ is a spiritual body and so it's it's not a machine it's not a business it's a body it's organics now organics have to have systems they have to have fine-tuned systems um but they have to come out of the heart of the holy spirit in the ways and means of the holy spirit and then the last one is what we call coaching over bossing is so our roles change from bosses I should not be anybody's boss in the church. No, I'm there to help coach. I'm there to help mentor. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm once again, I'm help. I'm, I'm there to help them be the most powerful um, follower of Jesus that they can be. And if they're on my team, 
then to help be the most powerful team member that they can be, but I'm not there as their boss. Um, and this is where the discipleship piece comes into. I think that's so, so much there. Um, but one of, one of the things that struck me in this book was just the, the, the message kept coming back, particularly around leadership and the, the expressions of church, but just about leadership is, I think you said, um, I think it was you Lance, uh, uh, we need to let go of the raw identity of a leader, embrace the role uh, as a catalyst. And, and that, that idea of like leaning into this more um, catalytic kind of posture and way of leading. Uh, and you talked about moving from a, a paternal kind of <laughs> a way of leaning in uh, to leadership, to, uh, to partnerships uh, and co-workers Every, everything around the, the leadership aspect of this book is very much like a paradigm shift for, for many of us. Um, uh, yeah, you you know, Mark, and the thing about it is, and I, I don't know how many, um, I don't know how many hierarchical leaders you guys in the UK have, have I mean, well-known Christian pastors that you guys have seen um, kind of fall over the last few years or be fired or be removed. But I, I know you that you've seen what's happened in North America and so many. And um, I mean, I don't mind saying the names because it's been very public. So it's, you know, we, it's, we can dance around it or whatever, but I mean, you know, from Mark Driscoll to uh, Bill Hybels to Rabbi Zacharias. I mean, you guys have seen Steve Timmis, uh, another Acts 29 guy, so many James McDonald. I mean, we could name name after name after name. And as these guys go down, uh, sometimes it's it's about some type of ex sexual exploitation or abuse. Um, but every one of the names I just mentioned, every one of those have been a big part of it has been bullying their their staffs, manipulation, hierarchical tendencies, uh, arrogance. Um, all this is wrapped up in this stuff that we're talking about. It's this this paternalistic bossing um, management type of attitudes that are just have nothing to do with the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, much less echoing the way that Jesus is. And it's been it's it has been not only accepted in the American church, it's been valued and celebrated and conferenced and taught and all with the, with the mantra, everything rises or falls on leadership. And no one has stopped to say, well, what kind of leadership, yeah. you know, and that's been the thing. And so it's like, it's this big revelation that, uh, Hey, you can't act like a jerk and lead for Jesus. And we're like, wow, what a concept, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that struck me, Lance, as you're talking is, and we talk about this in the book, you know, a catalyst, it's an element or a compound that initiates a reaction. But one of the things that's really interesting that Ori highlights, it, it does that without fusing into the reaction. Mm -hmm. So a catalyst is a person who initiates, equips, sparks things, but they can fade away into the background. So it's like Jesus saying to the disciples, no, really, it's better for me to go away. And they're like, mm -hmm. you're crazy. How's it mm -hmm. going to be better for you to go away? 
And what you see with something like Mark Driscoll, um, where it's been built around him, what looked like the greatest, you know, fastest growing, most influential church, you know, multiplication movement, quote unquote, in America disappeared in about five weeks, six weeks. Yeah. Because he wasn't a catalyst, you know, and he was basically, I am the leader. I am the brand. I, this is built around my particular set of gifts. And what we're saying is um, ultimately in the way of Jesus, that's really not leadership. We call it leadership. Uh, we've built conferences around, around it and a whole industry. Uh, but the way Jesus led was so, um, so much about equipping and empowering others that he could literally say to them, it's going to be better for you if I go away. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine anyone who's built a hierarchical sort of organization around their gifts being able to say that? No. So that's the real measure. You have to ask yourself, can I go away? Yeah. Have I built this in a way that eventually I can disappear? Yeah. And it's been it- interesting for me with the Kansas City Underground. Um, I've been trying to just personally, you know, how do I build this in a way where I'm being catalytic, but nothing is codependent upon my gifts or my talents. Yeah. And there's been moments, you know, like we had a, a guy who was in the original leadership circle of the underground at one point um, saying to me, hey, I'm concerned. We have a lot of people that are leading these equipping gathering sessions and they're not as good as you. And we really, we're just getting started. So we need like our best equipper up. So we get the best equipping, you know? And it, and first of all, it's like, well, hey, I, I've been teaching in large churches for 25 years. So I have an unfair advantage. I have a lot more practice on communicating. But the goal is in here, like always have the best communicator. The goal is we have to multiply equippers and communicators, which means we have to have a short-term quote unquote loss in quality so we can have a long-term multiplication of trainers, you know? And so if I would have been equipping every week, I don't think we'd have three hubs right now. Well, and to be fair though, I mean, Rob usually would open his equipping sections up. He'd pull his guitar out and do his little, a little bit of his old punk rock riff and everything. And everybody else couldn't do that. Everybody else couldn't do that. You know? So, I mean, he kind of, I mean, come on, let's, let's just be honest here. (laughs) He's just picking uh, stuff up, man. Yeah, now, now we're getting interested. Well, now, now we're getting our money's worth because now the yeah. truth is coming out. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, we don't. We better kind of bring uh, the the conversation to an end. Yeah. Uh, I can see we've been going for some time. It's been so so good. So, and Lance, you ruined the whole conversation. I ruined the whole thing. I'm sorry, Mark. Yeah, Mark's come, like, come oh, we have to it. wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. I want to. You know, we're we're uh, <clears throat> the goal of the podcast is essentially to to help people have the right kind of conversations for the moment that we find ourselves in. And um, our hope is that it will be a resource, that it will be a catalyst uh, for people in friendship groups, teams, people um, exploring mission in their neighbourhoods and doing it together with others. Uh, so we, we just want to give you the last five minutes to speak to the audience um and um you know i think anyone who's been listening will have understood the undertone that we, we all kind of sense that we're in a, a critical juncture in, in history it's a strange uh unique time 
and um, many of us are, you know, we don't really know what the future is going to be like, uh, but we sense an invitation to be exploring uh, and yeah. to be having these kind of conversations, perhaps more than more than ever. Uh, what would you like to say to leaders, pioneers, um, people who who just are longing to see more mm. uh, yeah. in this moment? I- I'll, I'll drop in mine and then Rob can go. Um, I, I think what I would just implore leaders is to um, just let, let go and let Jesus lead, you know, let, let, let Jesus breathe and build his body. You know, we have had such a tendency when Jesus said, I will build my church, you go make disciples. Our tendency has been to say, okay, Jesus, I'll build you a church. And he says, no, 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 no. I said, I will build my church. You go make disciples. And so I just implore you as leaders to rediscover what it really means, the joy, the beauty, the joy, and the freedom of becoming a disciple maker is job one. And so and that's that's my number one job is to is to get to know people, is to, in, to invite them to be a part of my life, is not to be over them, to be, be, be with them. Jesus was a friend of center, sinners, and he was a mentor to his disciples. Uh, there's beauty and joy in that, and there's this incredible multiplication, and there's a freedom in it, and you don't have to carry the weight of building anything. Jesus will build his church if we'll do what he called us to do. I, w- I would say to add to that, um, you know, I, here in America, because we have such a long history of being a quote unquote Christian nation and a certain form of kind of cultural Christianity. And as kind of the postmodern post-Christian realities are settling in, there's a very large section of the church that's sort of trying to desperately grab for power um, through what Paul called the weapons of the world. And you all are, you know, whatever, 30, 40 years ahead of us. And so what I'm telling you, you probably already know way better. Um, but I just offer it as a friendly reminder. Actually, the, the cultural situation we're in now is actually um, forcing us to rediscover a, a better way of being the church, a better way of following Jesus, where we're not in a strange codependent relationship with some kind of um, culturally domesticated version of the church. And so I want to encourage you to uh, be, be joyful. (laughs) Know that this is that we're actually better positioned than previous generations to discover uh, what it was that the early church was experiencing and following Jesus and what it means to actually be the family of God and that everything they had that sparked that original movement we have available to us. And what Lance said is true. You know, it starts with your relationship with Jesus and, uh, and then about making disciples. And I encourage you to just keep going lower. You know, if you think about Jesus, if this is the posture of your heart, you know, Jesus, who in being very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And if we could just try to imagine what it was like to see Jesus getting down on his hands and feet 
in washing the disciples' feet and saying, Lord, um, realizing, Lord, we look down, he's washing our feet. And it's a privilege and an honor for us to do the same. And if that becomes the bar for quote unquote leadership, I think we'll actually see movements happen. You know, and as long as leadership is still about me being on a platform, uh, me and my social media, <laughs> me and my sermons, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I love preaching, um, but I, what we want, and what, and we wrote this book for those that are ready to descend, <laughs> descend into leadership and discover that they're the beloved of God, rediscover the truths that cause the church to be a starfish movement and change the world. And it's, and I, and we're convinced <clears throat> that right now that's happening outside the Western world in a way it's never happened before. It's a historic moment in the history of the church. There's more disciple making movements happening now than any other time in the history of the church. And it's our turn. <laughs> it's our turn here in the West and whether that's Europe or America. Thank you very, thank you very much, Rob and Lance. Um, what a great way to finish. So uh, get the book, everybody. You got to get the book. Uh, it's it's uh, going to spark so much uh, wonderful conversations, and uh, hopefully, um, will help us all together uh, begin to reimagine um, you know, what the what the future might look like for the church in the US, in Europe. Uh, we pray for a reformation, a revival, mm. refounding on the Lord. Um, Amen. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and uh, we're just so grateful that um, we've been able to have this conversation. So we hope, we hope we'll be able to have you guys on the show again. Uh, thank you very much. God bless you. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Grace and peace to uh, the whole network. Welcome back, everybody, uh, and thanks for that interview, Mark. You're welcome. <laughs> Good. Um, and, uh, I mean, so much that has been said there, um, and uh, we're not going to spend a long time on uh, reflecting over this or unpacking it, but we are going to pull out a couple of things that kind of struck us and stayed with us. Uh, before we get into that, though, Mark, I, I do want to ask one thing. Um, if that is that the first time on a podcast where you've ever said to the guest shout out to your mum <laughs> i think you know the answer to that Chris. <laughs> yeah 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 i just wanted to relive the moment yeah i to be honest i thought there was definitely a moment when he was telling that story where i thought he's making this bit up yeah uh i thought he was lying but I did it. ask him, are you, are <laughs> yeah, you telling yeah. the truth here yeah. on the podcast? Yeah. We don't want to start any rivalries. <laughs> I asked the Christian leader <laughs> yeah. who's written are a book. Lying? Are you lying? <laughs> Look me in the eyes. <laughs> uh, but um, he wasn't lying. And I just, I mean, in all fairness, I know we're joking, but what an incredible role his mum played mm. in, in this. Absolutely. Uh, what a catalyst. Yeah. Uh, so we know mums often are behind great things <laughs> <laughs> so uh, shout out to everyone's mum today yeah. oh well, there you go listeners shout out to your mums yeah um 
Right. Well, uh, let's get into picking some of the big stuff out that struck us. Um, so, I mean, what what was it? What stood out to you the most? I know there was loads of stuff in there and loads of brilliant wisdom and tips and all sorts of things. But but what stuck out? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if for most people, and I know this was quite early on in the podcast, um, just the idea of like the language of hubs. Uh, he talked about this translocal space. Um, a training space and equipping space often um, well he referred to it as a place where apostolic things would happen so training releasing catalyzing equipping um, and I was just thinking people probably be interested in that because we don't have that translocal space in most traditions certainly in, in our tradition which is the Salvation Army we have local church and then we have hierarchies hmm. And um, uh, nothing really that is in place in the in-between space. Uh, but as he was talking, it, it kind of became, well, I guess, you know, the reason he was talking about it and the reason why it's a big part of the book is because, um, one, it was something that uh, they can see in Scripture. So in places like Ephesus and Antioch, mm. and I think somewhere else as well. But those places were these hub. Yeah, kind of models. Yeah, so yeah. they acted as hubs um, for apostolic releasing, um, and also I guess you know because I think as he was talking, it was pretty obvious that this is a piece in the structure and the models of church which is crucial as a movemental piece mm. um, to release in uh, a mindset and uh, and to equip leaders beyond just being focused on the ten streets around your house or the local church. Yeah, to think beyond um, to think missionally um so so i would love to learn more about these translocal spaces hubs and i think a lot of people listening would have thought oh that's interesting i'd mm. like to get the book and dig into that part yeah um because it's uncharted territory for most of us um but it seems to be a crucial piece yeah what about, what about you what was uh yeah i mean there was a there was a couple of things um i don't need to go really deep into this but actually you started at the beginning right at the end when uh, you invited them to um speak directly to the listeners just uh, there were a couple of turns of phrase that really struck me uh, when he was talking about um leadership and and one of them was uh, i would in your leadership i would just encourage you to keep going lower um and that really just kind of hit me like a truck just like like you've already said the hierarchical system is like climbing a ladder mm. um but what he's saying is that i mean and i mean modeling your leadership on jesus who came to earth in the lowest form and even throughout his ministry spent time quite literally on his hands and knees washing feet i mm. mean he went lower yeah. um so just that just got me thinking um and uh, also the phrase that he used to go alongside that was to descend into leadership, um, which is just quite a good reminder to have. Uh, yeah, but but it grabbed you, didn't it? It really did grab me. But I'll tell you, the thing that grabbed me the most was just um, when he was talking about the plurality of leadership um, and how, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to actually give a bit of a spoiler here and I'm going to read a, a short quote from the actual book um, that just really grabbed me as well, just on this topic, uh, where he, they talk about, uh, the Bible never refers to a human being as a head or lead or senior pastor of a church. And they say this title belongs exclusively to Jesus Christ. He is the only head of the church in the new Testament. Every clear instance is that of a circle of elders. Leadership was always plural. Um, and for those listeners that have listened for a while, you'll know that I'm currently studying theology and it's something I was looking into, um, in the last couple of weeks for an essay um, and just came, stumbled across this same point that in um, 
the ancient Greek. Uh, excuse my um, dialect here, if there's any ancient Greek listeners listening. <laughs> but um, the word that's found in the New Testament to refer to kind of priest or pastor is um, a plural word, presbyteroi. Um, which is always plural in every instance, um, mm. and that's and that, that was a group of elders that were uh, appointed by the apostles that were travelling around. They would always appoint a team, mm. um, maybe to avoid this hierarchical system. And mm. just over time, in the development of the church, it's become very singular and become priest mm. is the word that we now use. Mm. Um, so it just struck me again, just mm. that perhaps the single priest, single head leader of churches, is not in the design. Mm. The original design of the church. Mm, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, there's a whole heap of vulnerability in that model as well, like the solo hero, or yeah. the burden of, and they talked a bit about that, the vulnerability for the leader, but also for the church. Yeah, you're vulnerable if everything is is uh, like the answer to your missional challenge or problem is new leaders coming in with fresh life. You know, yeah. in our tradition, Salvation Army officers coming in to rescue the church or yeah. to you know, good officers, bad officers, yeah. that kind of language. Yeah. Um, but there's a massive vulnerability in that. Yeah. And, and it's no wonder why we've struggled yeah. for for decades just working out yeah. how to transition churches. We've yeah. focused on transitioning leaders, but yeah. not transitioning churches exactly. uh, and plural yeah. and I found co-workers, that, partners. I found that a really interesting question. Or it wasn't really a question, it was a challenge. Like, would your thing, your church, your community effect would it survive without you mm. and if the answer is no then it needs to be seriously looked at mm. so yeah. it's a good challenge for anyone who's in this leadership if you're in any form of leadership ask yourself that same question does it survive without you yeah yeah i guess it's a journey i guess when you arrive you know in some places you know there's nothing there mm. uh, but it's a the journey has got to be uh, and this is maybe where we don't have the skills or the the training to understand how to uh, lead through others mm. or or equip others um, we get it as an idea but in reality we have a huge challenge in releasing the priesthood yeah. uh, we talk about it a lot but yeah. you know it's kind of the biggest challenge of my experience of church mm. something talked about but something very rarely experienced uh, a few experts tend to be the ones doing everything yeah. and perhaps that's where this circle uh, that we've been missing this middle place of the hubs becomes essential yeah we've been missing out on yeah no good point well one of the things i thought was interesting was when he he was talking about moving from paternal Mm. leadership to partnership partnership uh, just connected to what we've been talking about and uh have you ever been made to feel uh, in the book uh, lance talks about a moment where a senior leader walked in and he and he just immediately shrunk into a kid and he was like he was saying i'm a 40 year old man (laughs) i know how to brush my teeth uh, and get up in the morning and and get the kids off to school but when like this person walked into the room i would like shrink it was like very much the father and the son kind of element and i know there's sometimes a little bit of that in you know in discipleship in leadership you know where you have that dynamic going on but when you're a 40-year-old man yeah. who's able to write books. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been made to feel like a kid? I, I, I mean, not been made to in the sense that it's been enforced on me, but I have taken that position definitely. You you and I have done a training course for 14 months together, yeah. a cohort um, in Apest, actually. But while we were on this cohort, there was this one clear uh, incident where they kind of wrapped it up, and there was loads of kind of like network leaders and stuff from around Europe and the states and everything in, on this cohort. 
and uh, the guy who was leading it said, okay, Chris, do you want to close us in prayer? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I can't pray in front of these people. And I remember I, I prayed probably the worst and least genuine prayer I've ever prayed because it, <laughs> it really was this feeling of, is this yeah. good enough? And yeah. I remember everyone hung up, got off the Zoom call, and I just said to you, that was a terrible prayer. Yeah. But I just kind of took this position of a child trying yeah. to... I, I, I was nice though. I gave it a six out of ten. Yeah, you gave it a six, which <laughs> was generous. I'm I mean. joking. <laughs> generous. <laughs> oh, come back, Holy Spirit. Yeah. We're joking. Um, um, I just... I mean, one of the things I was thinking about in, in when, when he was talking about that was in our tradition, there's so much pomp around leadership. Like yeah. some of our big events that I've been to, I really struggle with and... Uh, mainly because you know when the leaders walk in it's like a parade and mm. and uh, everyone's got to stand up and, and and all this kind of stuff goes on and I, I just think that's so unhelpful it reinforces uh, yeah. a, a kind of model of leadership which um, is certainly not going to cut it for our generation and the generations bit yeah. uh, under us yeah. uh, in this networked flattened yeah. well I world. encourage you to keep going lower so next time that happens you should lie down. <laughs> <laughs> oh there's a challenge yeah all um, right well look we're not going to um give any questions today are we um, no because i mean when we were talking about it i mean there's so much in there and it's quite a, a practical thing isn't it it's, it's big huge question so so the, the 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 advice or the question is uh w- will you go and get the book yeah yeah definitely and the book i've read the book so there's lots of practical stuff in there that will help you in your in in you know working out what it looks like in developing intentional discipleship stuff equipping leaders and um, thinking move move mentally so on all levels discipleship mm. leadership and movement mm. so lots of practical stuff lots of tools uh, yeah so yeah get the book good well uh, that's where we're gonna leave it and that's where we're gonna end season one yeah of the venture twelve podcast. Um, so thank you listeners for this year and sticking with us um, and we'll see you in season two let's pray for everybody as, right. a, as an end to the season all right yeah hopefully it will be a, an eight out of ten no <laughs> I'm joking anyway Jesus thank you for this season and we just pray for anybody who's listening and uh, we know this might be odd because uh, people will listen to it at different times but Father we just pray that you'll bless them and that anything good anything wholesome anything uh, of you, of your kingdom uh, that has been spoken about on this podcast will just um, will just catalyse beauty and uh, good stuff in our lives. We pray for great conversations. We pray for peace this summer. We pray that you'll get the rest that you need. Be blessed. We look forward to seeing you uh, when we get back in a few weeks. Mm. Amen. Amen. <laughs>